from the city of brotherly love. This is Shark Bite Biz with David Strausser. You just ride to the season six debut of Shark Bite Biz. I'm your rock star wannabe host, David Strausser. This is your place to learn how to grow a business during complete global chaos. Today's episode is brought to you by Seidor, S-E-I-D-O-R. Check us out for your technical back-end business management solutions. Today, it's all about deep listening, though as I have been, I guess, um, hinting out there, I do have a huge announcement. Oftentimes, I preach, uh, or even our guests, they talk about career transformation, taking risk, and me personally, I took my own advice. I just did that. As all of you know, I was the regional general manager for Vision 33 in the Northeast. Uh, you know, and they are one of the top ERP implementation organizations out there globally. Was with them for seven years. Very, very secure position. Very good people. But I just took a leap of faith and took a national role as the VP of business development with a new company starting today. And they are the sponsor of this episode as well. Uh, You know, it's basically, I had a chance, and many of you out there should be able to relate because you oftentimes, just as I went through, you get a chance like this, but you're nervous, you're scared, you have the what if factors, and you know, you got to do risk reward. But more importantly, you have to believe in yourself. My suggestion take a jump off the deep end and really trust in your own skills, your abilities to be able to deliver. And that's why I ended up taking the move and could not be happier to be part of a global SAP uh, implementation leaders team in the role of VP of business development for Sador. So wish me luck as I help transform their American business. I've got a huge task ahead of me. I'm nervous. But I'm also, you know, it really, really, really excited as well, too. So that concludes today's special announcement. And let's get back to today's show, okay? We're going to chat on deep listening. Last season, we had an episode that was on your brain and how it connects with writing. Now we're going to look at the other end of that and talk about listening skills. So who do we have today? None other than Oscar Trimboli. Oscar Trimboli is on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners. He is an author, host of the Apple award-winning podcast, Deep Listening, and a sought-after keynote speaker. He is passionate about using the gift of listening to bring positive change in homes, workplaces, and cultures worldwide. He had interviewed over 100 of the most diverse workplace listeners, including air traffic controllers, deaf and foreign language interpreters, hostage negotiators, and spies as part of researching world class listening. Over 14,000 people have contributed to his research about what gets in their way when it comes to listening. Oscar is a marketing and technology industry veteran working for Microsoft, PeopleSoft, Polycom, and Vodafone. He also consults to American Express, AstraZeneca, Google, HSBC, Montblanc, PwC, Salesforce, Sanofi, and Simons. 
So, hey, without further delay, let's bring Oscar right on in here. Business strategy. Oscar, welcome to Shark Bite Biz. You, my friend, you just became Shark Bait. <laughs> Thank you, David. Looking forward to listening to your questions today. Uh, I'm looking forward to speaking with you today because you consult with American Express. I said that during my intro and... Man, I got a bone to pick with Amex, you know. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna have you uh, do a personal concierge call for me with them as well too. But anyways, you know, the very first thing we've always at we always ask, um, you know, each one of our guests, what's your background? What's your experience? What do you do for a living? How'd you get there? Tell us your journey, basically in a nutshell, Oscar. What makes Oscar? Oscar. I think to understand me, you got to zoom into April 2008. And uh, in 2008, in April, I was in a boardroom in Sydney with 18 other people on a video conference between Sydney, Singapore, and Seattle. It was our annual budget setting process. And budgets are really important because get them right, people get to keep their jobs, make good bonuses, you get to grow get them wrong, people lose their jobs. Uh, It drives down morale. This meeting was scheduled to go for 90 minutes. And at the 20 minute mark, my vice president looked me straight in the eye and said, Oscar, we need to talk immediately after this meeting. Now, I don't know about you, David, but when somebody says that to you, (laughs) all I was thinking is how how many weeks of salary have I got left in my bank account? I get that feeling every time HR sends me an unscheduled uh, message in Microsoft Teams. I'm thinking, okay, what did I do? Who did I talk to? What did I do? Who did I talk to? (laughs) So I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, surprisingly, this meeting that was famous for going anywhere up to three hours, the annual budget setting meeting, it finished at the 17 minute mark. It finished actually early and Tracy asked me to close the door when everybody left. Um, And as I walked back, she said to me, "Uh, you have no idea what you did at the 20 minute mark, do you? And I thought, great, I'm getting fired and I got no idea what I did to get fired. And as I sat down next to her, she said, if you could code the way you listen, you could change the world. And as profound as that was from Tracy, the only thing going through my head, David, was woohoo, I haven't been fired. And uh, (laughs) I've been trying to honor Tracy's request uh, since 2008 to code how I listen. So we've coded it in, in, into a listening quiz. We've coded it into three books. We've coded it into playing cards. We've coded it into a jigsaw puzzle game. We've coded it into um, an Apple award-winning podcast. So we're, we're doing everything in our power to code it. And along with a deep listening ambassador community, a group of like-minded workplace listening professionals, we're on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners in the world because we think that that will change the way workplaces have conversations. So that's me in a nutshell. It's pretty nutty, I'd say. No, (laughs) just kidding. But uh, deep listeners, what is a deep listener? I'd love to hear. Okay, so I, I know that you get into the neuroscience of listening. And this is to me very fascinating that the interview is coming now because Just a few weeks ago, uh, one of our counterparts in the UK, um, he actually was studying all about the neuroscience of writing and how that works with the brain and stuff like that. And I found that 
incredibly like intriguing uh, about how, how, I don't know, just how everything develops, how it works, really interesting. So here we have the opposite end of it where his was writing output, you're listening as far as input into the brain. So define to me, like what is the deep listening? Well, good, good listeners listen to what people say and deep listeners listen to what people don't say. They notice what's absent in the conversation rather than what's present. And good listeners listen during the conversation. Deep listeners listen before, during, and after the conversation. Good listeners listen for similarities. They listen for the familiar. Deep listeners listen for differences and the unusual. When it comes to deep listening, if you know the three numbers, these three numbers, if you know these three numbers, you're ahead of 98% of workplace listening professionals. These three numbers, 125, 400, and 900, if you know these numbers, you understand why it's more important to listen to what's not said rather than it is to listen to what is said. And honestly, who cares about listening? The impact of listening to what's not said reduces sales cycles, keeps great staff in your organization, shortens meetings, increases profitability, and ultimately puts your head of your competition. So those three numbers, 125, 400, 900. I did memorize those numbers just in case you were quizzing me. <laughs> I won't quiz you. 125 is the average workplace speaking speed per minute, okay? 125 words per minute is your speaking speed on average. If you're a real estate agent, a cattle yard auctioneer, a horse race caller, you're speaking at about 200 words per minute. So right now, if you're listening to me on a podcast app or on YouTube, you're probably listening at 1.5 speed, two times speed, because you can still have complete comprehension at a faster speed. That's because you can listen at 400 words per minute and have complete comprehension. I usually go 1.8. 1.8, awesome. And the num of these three numbers, the most important is 900. 900 is the average thinking speed. Now, this is very important when it comes to the speaker. If a speaker can think at 900 words per minute, yet they can only speak at 125 words per minute, it means the first thing they say is 14% of what they mean. And if you're in a briefing call, you're in a sales call, you're in a project meeting with a client, another employee, if all you do is listen to the first thing they say and start having a conversation about that, you're having a conversation with 14% of what they think. And as a result, you're going to have a lot of confusion, chaos, conflict, frustration, rework, or even worse, you may win a client but you've heard the wrong thing. And as a result, when you get into implementation, they say, no, 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 that's not what I explained. And all of a sudden you've got, you've got yourself an unprofitable project. I'm sure that I'm sure that's never happened to you, David. That's happened a lot in our industry. And, you know, we were talking before we started recording, Oscar has uh, similarity in the ERP space like I do. And, there's plenty of times where I'll be at a call with one of my sales reps and, you know, we hear the customer say X, Y, and Z. And my sales rep be like, oh, great. So he's going to talk to the DPS to get a quote, you know, our, our pro services team. And they'll be like, yeah, we need a quote in A, B, and C. 
And I'm like, no, no, no. Customers said they just need X, Y, and Z. No, 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 no. They need A, B, and C. It's like, no, trust me, just do it. And because I like to think I'm a little bit more intuitive in the listening. Now, sometimes if I'm just brought in to the game late, I could be a little wrong. Okay. But if I'm there from the beginning, I usually get it right because I'm listening to what not only when you get into tech sales, you know, it's hard because there's really two categories. There's sophisticated and unsophisticated customers. And unsophisticated doesn't mean they're dumb or anything like that. It just means this is the first time that they've gone through a buying process of something like this so complex. And they may not be able to express the right words for the pain points that they're feeling. And that's where I'm experienced enough to where I can kind of get the cues of what they mean. Does that make sense? It does. And although that relies on you and your sellers to be rock stars, I mentioned earlier on that listening happens before, during and after a conversation. One of the things you can do to assist um, the unsophisticated buyer, somebody who hasn't gone through the procurement process, is provide them with checklists, provide them with a white paper, the top 10 things you need to consider when selecting a system. When, when, you, when you send that to them in advance, they can start to think about things in a way they won't in that instant when you're talking to them in that moment. And if you can educate your buyer before you get in the room, you're going to be able to differentiate yourself from anybody else who's selling against you in that sense. So one of the things I would encourage you to do, don't leave it to chance. Give give them some material a week in advance of the meeting, not, not a day or an hour before, just so they can reflect on that. Quite often, one of the big questions for unsophisticated buyers is you don't understand the backstory. You don't understand the buying landscape. You don't understand the process of procurement. I think good sellers beat the competition and great sellers help the customer get a business case over the line. I, I think they're very different selling approaches. One is helping the customer succeed through implementation and the other one is just beating the competition. I think most of us would like to be the second kind of seller because that increases loyalty, referral and cost of sale is reduced as well. When you listen carefully for what they will tell you, is a lot of people, we talk about this in the five levels of listening in our book, is at level three, we should be, always be asking the question, Take me back to when you first noticed the issue in this case. You know, the issue may be we've got too many manual processes, we have billing errors, we have very unhappy customers when we have billing errors. That, that might be an example. In that example, we want to basically go, who else is impacted by that inside your organization? What processes are impacted by that? And what you do is you help that person realize that to get this business case over the line, there are many people who have to come along on the journey and your role is to help them listen for the political landscape in the in the organisation they're working with as well, not just 
the story they tell you the first time, David. Have you ever had a situation where you beat the competition, but you didn't beat the business case? Beat the competition, but didn't beat the business case. I I, I would probably say there's got to be some point that that has happened in my career. Uh, we we were working with a, a CRM vendor about oh, it was about 2012. They'd done a great job. They were working with a client and they beat the competition. And it, it was towards the end of the fiscal year. They were going through the process, got to finance, project got stopped. Why? Because Kimberly Clark, the people who provided toilet paper to the organization, said to the finance professional, if you buy a full year worth of toilet paper, we'll deliver it as you use it, but we'll give you a 50% discount. And that organization who was selling CRM software beat the competition, but lost to toilet paper. Wow. That is, uh, that's crazy. You know, the, the, I've always heard of crazy stories like that. And I have had some crazy things, not to that degree, but I've had some similar situations. None that, unfortunately, trying to rack my brain right now, none that come to me on the, on the spot. But I did want to ask you something that you mentioned earlier. You said about, you know, listening isn't just during the call or during the presentation, but it's from before and after as well. In the days of COVID, the days of remote work, the days that you're not in the office building, you know, it's a little bit hard to get feedback or verbal or visual feedback, you know, you know, before, during, and after virtual presentations anymore. I mean, how can people really adapt to that to make sure that they're listening, you know, the best that they can? Well, one of the questions you don't want to ask people for at the end of a presentation is, can you give me some feedback on how we went? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's one thing I, um, I, I personally would never, even when I'm doing a sales deal, I've never asked yet. I, I don't know. I usually would put in something and I'm just winging this, but I'm kind of like, so you know, you guys just saw the presentation, uh, it, hearing your question, seeing what I saw on the camera. It looks like we're check marking your boxes. So I want to ask you, what other unanswered questions do you all have? And that's kind of what I would do at the end of a presentation as a transition to try to figure out what other pain, because there's no way that we addressed everything on the first shot, you know, but what other pain points linger? what comes to mind and let's start setting up the next step of the sales process. Is that a good approach? What do you think? Yeah, you could, you could do that. Yet in that moment, the likelihood that you've got to ask that question at least at the, if it's a one hour meeting, you've got to ask that question at the 45 minute mark, not at the 55 minute mark. Okay. That's an important thing to do. The the other thing to build on that, what we know working with our clients in selling situations is this, and this is the question we pose to them. Ask the people in the room how they would explain it to somebody who's not in the room. So you would simply, you would simply say, Hey, how would you explain this? what you've heard in the last hour in one sentence to the business owner. And they go, oh, okay. And it feels like a fairly neutral, safe question, right? And they go, you've got a really expensive system that'll probably do the job for us, right? That's how they would explain it to their owner. As opposed to you saying to them, hey, have you got any more questions? 
What you want to do is understand what they heard and how they would explain it to somebody else. Well, it wasn't more, do you have any more questions? It's more to the degree of the pain points. Have we addressed the pain points? You got to put the full context there. Have we addressed all your pain points? What else is out there lingering? What else can we answer for you? Yeah, but they'll only answer the pain points from their perspective, David. They won't answer it from the business owner's perspective. This is we want to get out of the room is my point. If you really want to listen to what's not said, get out of the room. It doesn't matter if it's virtual. Get them mentally out of the room and go, there's a there's a business owner over there. That business owner, what what's what are you going to explain to them from what we've discussed? Now, the flip of that, and this is a really high yield question. Given the business owner couldn't be here today, what's the one question you think they would ask us that we haven't covered off? That's amazing. Yeah. Right. So we're pushing. It's fascinating for the people in the room, but they're not the buyers in in the context we're talking about. We need them to expose a little bit more so we can help them be successful. A lot of people will answer questions that you ask them always from their perspective, push them up, get them at level three, get them out of their context and start to drive the business case rather than the technical outcome, the, you know, did we do this? Did we do that? Are we missing anything functionally? Which you'll typically get answered in those very first couple of conversations, David. You know, for the for the most part, okay, again, we'll just go back to tech because everybody that's an avid viewer of my show knows what ERP is by now. And roughly, whether I'm selling Microsoft, SAP, or selling um, uh, Oracle NetSuite, you know, they all pretty much do the same thing. The difference is maybe SAP does this a little better and maybe NetSuite does that a little better. Maybe Microsoft, I don't know, does what Microsoft does better. But they all more or less do the same thing just in their own way. Very few things really differentiate the product, but the few things that do differentiate the product could be, you know, what actually gets your deal sold because it happens to be a pain point for that client. Yeah. And again, make sure you're asking that question broadly, whether that's before the meeting through your checklist of questions or your white paper. And then after the meeting or towards the end of the meeting, make make sure they explain to you what they've heard. Because a lot of times as they're trying to process it, remember the speed at which they can process it is 900 words per minute. Now, in collaborative, creative, resource-constrained environments, which probably are the ones you're operating in, they could be thinking up to 1,600 words per minute. The average is 900. The likelihood that what they say the first time at the end of that meeting and is exactly what they mean, 14%. If if you're in an environment where they're 1,600 words per minute, 5%. The likelihood they can express what they want to express at the end of your meeting, pretty low, as opposed to ask those questions well after the meeting, a day later, two days later. But signal at the end of the meeting that you are going to ask those questions. Yeah, no, I think that that's totally fine. And that's honestly usually what happens. No, David, I think you address all our pain points and we're pretty happy with what we saw. We'll let you know if uh, anybody comes up with any questions. and. Two days later, I have a list of 15 questions to answer. Uh, but it's, it's, you know, it's all good. It's part of the process. We're used to that by now. 
Um, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you, and again, I, I wanted to ask it because when I sur- saw the N-word being neuroscience, to be clear, uh, when I saw that N-word in your stuff, it really triggered me with the neuroscience because I had a whole episode on the neuroscience of writing, like I said earlier. I want to learn a little bit. Uh, We can go high level. I don't want to go super deep, but you've explained it to some degrees, but like what part of the brain, for example, is active for listening? Where does that get received at? So just behind the skull here is the prefrontal cortex. And this is where we use working memory to process our conversational listening, just behind the skull. Now, working memory is finite. A lot of people say, hey, Oscar, I can multitask and listen. Uh, Yes, this is true. If you're doing routine tasks like gardening, maybe chopping vegetables, maybe driving an automobile. If you're doing routine tasks, you can listen to music as an example. Sure, no problem. But when I interviewed two neuroscientists who have written books on attention, specifically on the topic of listening, They said if you're in a conversation with another human that requires some level of unpredictability, and we've just talked about it with with the presentation you talked about, you, you you need to be completely present. You can't be using working memory. Working memory is like a browser tab. You keep opening tabs up, eventually it'll slow down and won't be as effective. So before you get into a conversation, one of the things um, Professor Stefan van der Stekel from Utrecht University has written a couple of books on attention. <laughs> you, do you know how many times I had to practice that to ultimately get it right? Now, with, with Stefan, he, he said something fascinating. He said, if you're talking to a human, Oscar, when it comes to listening because you're using working memory, you can task switch on working memory, but you won't do either function effectively. So he said, when it comes to listening, my advice is simply that, listen, be present in the moment. You know, one of my mentors has always told me that, uh, you know, don't know if you're religious or not, but this is, I don't think it's really religious per se. I just religious because it uses the name God. But she said that her mother always taught her that God made us with two ears and one mouth and we're supposed to use them proportionately. And that was always her key and her mother teaching her that you should listen, you know, two thirds of the time and be speaking one third of the time. Yeah. And there, there are Bible passages on a be, be, be slow to speak and, and quick to listen as well. But- Is there really? I did not know that. So maybe there was a religious tie-in. I, I just wasn't aware, but she she was telling me, you know, she comes from apparently like a, a non-secular house. So that's why I was kind of surprised that uh, that ties in. But um, yeah, give me your opinion on that. The the proportions are roughly right. They're slightly out. Um, you know, when 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 you just went through the neuroscience there, you got one to nine as a ratio, one to four as a ratio. I would say. If you, if you want to listen well, two ears and one mouth, use them in that proportion. If you want to listen better, if you want to have shorter sales cycles, more happy customers, more employees that stay with you, you'll probably increase that ratio to three times or four times. Because one of the things we know from our research with 22 
thousand listeners that we've researched and 1,410 that we track. We've been tracking them for four years now. The number one thing they say they get back in their day is time. Their meetings are shorter and the meetings that they do have are higher quality. So one question I, it's funny, you, you mentioned the demonstration scenario. I was working with a client about four months ago and uh, they went through this whole demo and everything like that. And at the 50 minute mark in the meeting, they said, is there anything else? And they said, well, actually you covered everything off in the first 10 minutes, but they just kept talking. So one of the things I would recommend if you want to shorten your meetings and yet make it useful for the client is ask this question. If you want to make a meeting shorter for an employee and useful for them, ask this question. If you want to make a meeting shorter for an employer, ask this question. At the beginning of every conversation, just ask. Ideally, do it before you meet, but in the moment. This has got nothing to do with the agenda or the outcome of the meeting. What would make this a great conversation? Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that uh, a few times. Um, and I've never... Never tried it, but I, I've only heard it in passing. I've never heard it from like an expert like you telling me like, hey, do this. This will make a difference. And now that I have, uh, I'm going to try it before this episode actually airs. So before you do, it's a it's a one-two punch. You You don't ask that question standalone. When you ask that question, they'll say to you, David, this will make it a great conversation for me. Now, David, one of the things we know from our research, 28% of people ask the opposite question back to the host. So most people are really selfish. They'll never ask you what's going to make be a good conversation for you. How do you shorten the meeting using that as a listening compass through the rest of the conversation? Imagine it's a one-hour meeting. I don't recommend one-hour meetings, by the way. I recommend 50-minute meetings or 20-minute meetings. I'll talk about that shortly as well. If it's a one-hour meeting, at the 15-minute mark, at the 30-minute mark, and at the 45-minute mark, ask this question. David, when we started today, you said this will make it a good conversation, and you repeat what they said. How are we going? They go, oh, wow, he remembered, and he's listening. Now, what happens, our clients say to us, is two things will happen. Thanks, David. We're at the 15-minute mark in the meeting. Thanks, David. I've literally covered off everything I want to cover off today. Thanks. That's all I need. Awesome. One-hour meeting just became a 15-minute meeting. Or they go at the 15-minute mark, thanks, David, covered off everything. Thank you very much. One thing we haven't covered off, though, and it's really important to me, blah, 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 blah. Got nothing to do with the agenda. Got nothing to do with the outcome. But because you took the time to check, your trust level just went up, and they're going to give you a bigger problem to start to think about as well, which translates to higher value commercially and a bigger opportunity. Yeah, no, that definitely sounds great. However, my question for you, and I'm asking this again, because a lot of people that watch this show, they may be thinking exactly what I'm thinking. Like, hey, what you said sounds good. If we're doing our normal check-in type uh, calls, like, okay, yeah, we can just do a 15, 20 minute call, uh, which like, for example, my initial call, uh, I'm always like, hey, can we just jump on for a quick 20-minute call for me to go through some things real quick and make sure we're a match? And it usually um, you know, works out pretty good. But 
when you're going through demonstration of the software, I mean, that's something that, you know, typically you're talking an hour on the low end to four or five hours on a high end. And it could be multiple days, like three, six hour days worth of demos with different groups of people. So are you saying, would that be like the exception to the rule? No, you still ask the question. You you work within the constraints of the context you're in. But what it gives them is permission to tell you something that's not in the structure of the demo. So they might say to you, look, it's really important that we go through this demo today. But I want to let you know, um, we've just been notified that our organization will be acquired. You still going to do the demo? Or are you going to change the way you do the demo? Yeah, it would definitely change. It would not necessarily kill the deal, it, but it may change a deal depending on what the terms of, of the buyout is. <clears throat> We've had that happen a few times. Uh, there was one of our customers that, for example, very, very famous customer known worldwide, but they did bankruptcy in the U.S., the sales rep actually did not want to engage with them. I'm not calling them. They just did bankruptcy, you know? And it's like, no, they just did bankruptcy, okay? Now they got a clear slate. <laughs> uh, call them, you know? We'll be the first person they owe money to. Uh, but it was actually for their Central, South American, Asian parts of the business, which are extremely, po well, it was extremely profitable for them pre-COVID, um, I don't know how it is during uh, COVID right now, but pre-COVID, it was extremely profitable and they were not in bankruptcy in those areas. And we ended up uh, getting the deal. It was one of the largest ones that we got for the small business uh, SAP, uh, Business One platform. Uh, it was an amazing sale. But the, you know, again, sales rep, not even wanting to try just because they filed for bankruptcy. That drives me bonkers. He should have got zero commission on that. <laughs> my, point, my point is really simple. Don't leave it to chance. Have a process. Ask that question at the beginning of the meeting. Have the discipline to do it. Now, back to 50-minute meetings, by the way, David. Start a meeting at either five after the hour or 10 after the hour. Here's why. Most people are in back-to-back -back meetings. And when I do this with my clients, they say to me, oh, I really love our meetings, Oscar, because I get some time to go to the bathroom. I have some time to get some lunch. I have some time to collect my thoughts and become present to the dialogue. When I start a conversation with them at five after the hour, they're ready to go. They're not distracted. They're not trying to process the last meeting. They are present. They can listen to themselves. And more importantly, they can do the work they need to going forward. So please, one of the things I would encourage you all to do is start your meeting five after the hour. Now, be careful. You've got to tell the client that that's not a mistake because a lot of people will think you made a mistake. Just send, send, send them an email and just say, I'm definitely going to be there at five after the hour. Now, for the very first time that ever happens with my clients, I always log in at the top of the hour because they are so regimented they dial in at the top of the hour anyway, even though the mini meeting's at five after the hour. So I say to them, look, we've scheduled this meeting for five after the hour. Go and make yourself a cup of coffee. Go and make yourself a glass of water. Just, I just want them to do something to disconnect their brain from the last meeting. Then they can listen to themselves and they can listen to me. So I have one last final question for you, Oscar, and this has been amazing so far. So many 
great tidbits that I'm going to try out and, uh, you know, share with my sales team too, to help try to make them better. But out of all the customers, all the meetings you've had in your life, give me one example of where listening has probably made the biggest difference for you, except for the one that you mentioned earlier with the budget. That that's you can't include that one. I need one more story. One more good story. I what I'm picking up on, you're a good storyteller, and I like hearing your stories. 2015, I was brought in to work with a pharmaceutical company that had some huge quality issues. They did sterile manufacturing. And uh, for three months, they had consistently inconsistent impurities in their production line. Now, when batches are held up, they actually have to get destroyed. They're about a million dollars a batch. And as a result, I was brought in by the plant CEO. And he said, Oscar, I'm going to put you in a room of 93 people, leaders in this organization. We're really struggling with this quality issue. Get them to listen to each other. That was the brief, right? Get the 93 people managers to, to listen to each other. So I came into the room and it was a really narrow room. You know, normally a room's wide and short at the back. This was the opposite. It was a bit weird. But as I walked in, you could feel tension because they'd had another production stop, another million dollars. And when they added it all up, it was over $10 million in this issue. Now, I had a whole day workshop with them starting at 10 and finishing at 4. And I started the workshop very simply. I said, turn to the person next to you, have a chat and answer this question, who are we not listening to right now? Who are we not listening to? So they have a chat and for 10 minutes, the room energy changed and a lot of vibrancy. So I bring them back and I say, okay, tell me what you've heard. We're not listening to production. We're not listening to frontline workers. We're not listening to frontline workers. I said, great. It was half past 10, David. I sent them out. I said, come back at one o'clock, go and talk to the production workers. Don't stop the production line, but go and talk to the production workers. One o'clock, they came back in. And somebody told me a story that changed my life. There was a 62-year-old Maori, huge man who had been working for that company for 36 years. And he had lodged a ticket on their production control system best part of a year ago saying that this one pipe, and the pipe was $3, was rusty. But his manager told him, we haven't got time to fix a $3 pipe because we've got production volumes that we have to get to. They didn't listen to this production line worker. They ignored him. It ended up costing them $10 million. They went and changed that one pipe. And in the room was PhDs in chemistry and masters. And I got none of that. But because I asked them who they're not listening to and go out and go and listen to those people, they're very able to quickly diagnose something for three months with all their intergalactic Six Sigma methodology that they couldn't resolve. And yet just by going and talking to frontline workers, they solved it within a day and saved them. One rusty pipe. One rusty pipe. Wow. That is that is pretty, pretty amazing. And I think that's a pretty compelling story. And that's why I asked you for another one, because uh, I, I got to tell you, Oscar, out of all the people I've had on this show, you are probably the best, uh, one of the best, if not the best storyteller, I believe I've had on this show of being able to tell these real life stories in a way 
that people can visualize it to be able to learn and process the information that you're sharing. You got a special skill, my friend. Like it is amazing. Yeah, the irony is in in 2019, I thought to get to 100 million deep listeners in the world, I just needed to listen really well. And then a very good friend of mine, Dermot, with a beautiful Irish accent said, you idiot, you're going to have to learn how to speak. You're going to have to learn to tell, tell the stories that you tell, Oscar, because you listen to the stories so well. Rather than staying in touch with me, I would rather you learn about your own listening villain, your own listening barrier, and join the 22,000 other people who've taken the listening quiz, listeningquiz.com. You'll get a report that tells you your primary listening barrier. And if you want to stay in touch with me, that'll give you some little pointers to how you can stay in touch with me. But I'd rather you learn about your listening than spend time talking to me. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So you, we have listeningquiz.com. And why don't we get your uh, your podcast and everything else out there about uh, about Oscar Trimboli? Uh, look, David, I want to give everyone a really simple one thing to do. If you do listeningquiz.com, um, in the report you get, you'll get the links to the podcast, you'll get the link to the books and the quiz and everything else from there. So just listeningquiz.com and go and take the seven minute quiz and find your primary listening barrier. And, and that's a wrap, everybody. Listeningquiz.com. It's got the gateway to Oscar and his listening success. Oscar, thank you so much for coming on. This has, this has been amazing. I, I've really, I've learned a lot from you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Cheers. Wow. That was an incredible chat with Oscar, right? Wasn't it? I loved it. First, you all know the routine. If you found this interview helpful, if it sparked some warm and fuzzies, do me a favor, hit that like button, smash that subscribe button. But if you really want to help us out because you know Shark Bite Biz is the greatest kept secret in the world of small business, please share us out to your friends, your colleagues, your family, wherever you dwell on the interwebs. I don't care if it's Twitter, if it's Facebook, LinkedIn, Minds, wherever, Rumble, get the word out there about Shark Bite biz so that you can hear week in and week out experts like we have today with Oscar Trimboli. Now let's get back to the real rock star of this show, Mr. Oscar Trimboli. The topics we discuss are all critical for business success, okay? Many people just talk <laughs> and we all know those people that just talk, 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 talk. I'm guilty of that sometimes with myself, you know, um, but they also have the bad habit of hearing what they want to hear. They didn't hear what was said. They hear what they wanted to hear. So if you're in sales, we call that happy years. You think you're getting a sale, but honestly, you've got 50 other steps in there and you're not even realizing it because you're skipping from A to Z. You know, you're listening on the surface, but you aren't doing the deep listening to what your clients, bosses, people like that are really trying to tell you, okay? The neuroscience behind listening, I find fascinating. Like I said earlier, it's similar to what we learned about the science behind writing. It comes down to one of the only ways to truly grow 
is by listening, okay? Listen for feedback on areas you can grow on. Listen to feedback on how to sell more deals. Delivering to the customer what the customer is really saying, what they are really wanting. You need to listen, and that's what I love what Oscar's doing with his deep listening program. Awesome, awesome stuff, Oscar. I know you are an extremely busy man. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing about the mission that you're doing and trying to get a hundred million deep listeners. Please check out his website, oscartrimboli.com. And as always, we'll have the link right down below in the description. Question of the day. How well do you listen? Leave a comment below on uh, YouTube if you're watching on YouTube, Rumble, or wherever you can. Leave a comment, uh, even if it's on our Facebook page. Love to hear what you think about listening, what you think about Oscar and his advice. Do you want to be on the show? We are now scheduling for season six interviews. Interviews at sharkbitebiz.com. Please, if you're watching on YouTube, join the channel. $3 a month, you can become a baby shark. Download the app on Google, Google Play Store, Shark Bite Biz, real easy. Or just give us a super thanks, you know, the little heart with a dollar sign, dollar, $10, $5, whatever you can do. Every dollar helps us to complete the mission that we're out here doing. You all know this by now, but I'll tell you once again. I'm David Strasser. This is Shark Bite Biz, and we'll see you all next episode. Cheers. Thank you for listening to Shark Bite Biz. We hope you got some insightful info from this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and visit us on the web at www.sharkbitebiz.com. How has business changed for you in the 20s? Email us at podcast at sharkbitebiz.com so you can join us and share your story.